Um, we're doing this series, a long series that we've been doing called Reset, going through the Psalms, but taking one Psalm in particular, Psalm 23, and working through it uh, for six weeks, six verses. Um, and it's really feel it's a moment within the general word of reset that we, uh, Bev and I, received at a meeting of national church churches and leaders and have shared with you the idea that maybe one of the things that God is doing at this moment in history, because he is sovereign and none of this is a surprise to him, is a hard reset. He has grown weary of our preferences, of the things we will do or not do and the choices that we make. And there is on your phone that button, hard reset to restore to the manufacturer's settings. And that there's an invitation for God to reset us. We keep revisiting it, what life was like before COVID. I think some of us long for it, don't we? I find myself like that and I think, oh, I sound like, I sound like, the, I sound like the people of God having escaped Egypt. Have you felt like that? I'd rather go back. At least I knew the busyness, the crippling busyness and complexity of life. But what if this is the way the Lord resets us? How, how audacious of God that he might demand his preferences of his people. Um, so maybe it's a moment, and that's what we're doing here. By the way, 5th of September, yeah, fantastic if we get to a place where no one has to sign in for something. That's a great experience. But more than that, it's like, what is God doing? That's a word I've shared with you as a church. Uh, I've shared the image of crossing the Red Sea together as God's people. And would we move with him and go with him to where he wants to take us? But also that this is a moment in history that we have a choice about. We can look back on and say, I was there. And I told you I imagine it with my grandchildren one day. And they say, granddad, what was COVID like? And I'll go, freaking awful. Be grateful you weren't there. Yeah? Like my grandparents used to tell me about the Second World War. Awful. Be glad you weren't there. But I hope that they're followers of Jesus. And I hope that they say, Granddad, tell me the story. Tell me the story of what God did. Tell me the story of what God did with his people. Tell me the story of the revival that poured out around the world where Christians decided that Jesus was their Lord and Savior and they were going to turn back to him and follow him. Tell me about what happened. Tell me what you saw. Tell me the miracles. Tell me the people that came to faith. Tell me the stories, Granddad. Do you want those stories? That's what's available to us. If we've ever read our Bible and seen what God does at moments like this, if we've ever looked at history, this is a moment. So we come to Psalm 23. Let's read, as we go through the psalm, let's begin at the beginning as we read into the verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Amen. Um, if you have our app, I think, if I, I got it late to the team, there's fill-in notes, like a handout for today, and you can put notes in there. Um, and recommended an accompaniment to this series, a book by Philip Keller. I've emailed all of you on our email list, and it's about a, a Christian who was a real shepherd, and he's written a commentary, and it's a wonderful book. I would encourage you to read it if you really want to get into Psalm 23. And I've used it a lot as background for my uh, preparation every week. 
But here is this shocking thing about the beginning of this verse. He, the Lord is my shepherd. He refreshes my soul. Well, surely if God was my shepherd, I'd be perpetually refreshed, wouldn't I? Wouldn't I? Isn't it kind of shocking, the idea that if God is your shepherd, you might need refreshing? Now, if I just ask anecdotally, have any of you come here with a soul today that needs refreshment? Anyone's soul need refreshing? There was a lot of, there was, some of you haven't even got the energy to get your hands up. It was like, that was it, yeah? You haven't, you've got to go, yes, I need refreshing. That's just the extroverts in the room. Have you noticed the difference between introverts that need refreshing and extroverts that need refreshing? Extroverts are like, I really need God to do something in my life. And the introverts are all like, hmm. But our souls need refreshing. It's one of the, it's one of the things that's surprising, isn't it? That following God, following the good shepherd, Jesus, our souls still need to be refreshed. Jesus talked about it many, many times that we would need to come back to him and be restored by him and refreshed by him and eat from him and drink from him. And this psalm is replete with this idea of refreshing. And in the psalms, even King David, who we could say was one of the human beings, the closest to the human being most close to God, and wrote some of the most wonderful psalms, writes this that his soul needed to be refreshed. So if your soul needs refreshing now, or it ever needs refreshing, this is the place that we begin. Why is that? Why would our souls need refreshing? Um, Psalm 142, verse 11, offers us a clue for what David's... When David talks about his soul needing to be refreshed, there's all this imagery of the shepherd and sheep, but there's also the imagery of the other psalms that are just immediately in the minds of people that are listening. And one of them would be this, Psalm 142, verse 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul, why are you downcast? You could do a little search, get your Bible app out on your phone, go through the word downcast in, in, the, in the Old Testament, and you'll find it's linked to the soul. It's a description in the Psalms in particular of a condition of our soul where we are downcast. So let me rewind to the question I asked you. The, the moment I said, um, he, he, re, he restores my soul, people would be thinking of the other Psalms that talked about our soul being downcast. I could have said this to you. Has anyone's soul been downcast recently? It's one of those words that we probably don't use, do we? Someone says to you at work, how are you this week? Oh, my soul was a bit downcast this week. You wouldn't say that. But you know what the word means, don't you? Downcast. The word downcast, if you don't know it, is a shepherding term. Did you know that? It means to be cast down. Sheep get cast down. This metaphor was just so common at the time of the psalmists. It's the main way they talked about, how are you? And they go, oh, I'm a bit cast down this week. I'm a bit down, and it's turned into the word we use, downcast. We've taken a sheet that's cast down and turned it into the English word, downcast. You with me? So what does it mean for a sheep to be cast down? 
Well, that's what we need to unpack. It's a, it's a this term about sheep, and remember the, the, this psalm, and God is insistent that the primary way that he understands us is as sheep. And if we want to understand our relationship with him, it's through these metaphors and these images. So a sheep would get cast down. Literally, what would happen is a sheep ends up on its side or its back, and it can't get back up. It is cast down. Have any of you had little children who are learning to walk? And you see them go somewhere and they get... And then they flounder around, don't they? Can't get back up until they learn how to. But sheep, sheep will become cast down. They fall over. And if a sheep becomes cast down and, the, and it has no access to water and it's a hot day, they can die within a few hours. You say, isn't that a design flaw among sheep? They die. If they have access to water and it's not hot, they can last for maybe two or three days and then they will die. So when a shepherd comes back, and Philip Keller talks about this in his book, you know that when Jesus says, goes off for the one, do you know how a shepherd would be looking for the sheep that was downcast, the sheep that was missing? He'd actually look to the skies because buzzards would be circling around where there was a downcast sheep thinking, if we just fly around here for a while, then we've got our dinner, lamb's supper. That's one of the ways that the shepherd, he would count his sheep, but the primary way a shepherd would know a sheep was missing would be to look at the skies. Downcast. Well, apparently there are three ways that sheep get downcast. And this is important because this metaphor of how they get downcast extends to us as well, how our souls become downcast. The first one is sheep really like to go to soft and comfortable places, which is very dangerous for them. They go, this is nice right here. And it's soft and comfortable and they snuggle in and then they fall asleep and then their legs slip out from under them and that's it. Isn't it interesting? Wants to go somewhere soft and comfortable. Oh, just stay here. It's very dangerous for a sheep if it does that. The other reason is that a sheep has too much wool. If a sheep's got too much wool on it, it will cause it to get stuck and especially if it gets stuck on briars or bushes and stuff, and they get stuck and it pulls them over. And the third one that's related to all of this is they become overweight. An overweight sheep is more at danger of becoming downcast. Is there anyone you know who was a Christian once, but got cast down and lost their faith in Jesus? I was thinking of a young man that I knew 20 years ago was involved in our church, in our children's ministry, prophetic, got his dream job, never saw him again, cast down. You see, we think that if we have lots of wool, things, if we're somewhere comfortable and safe, we're protected. But the psalmist warns us we are at most danger in those moments. It's why we get cast down. And what we're trying to do is, what's at stake from the first verse? Any of you remember the first verse? The Lord is my shepherd. Not you, the Lord. The danger is the moment we think we know what's best for us, we are at risk of being cast down 
and downcast. Our preferences, remember the series? Reset. Our choices to stay comfortable, safe, secure. So do you know what the Good Shepherd does? And this is the answer to every week that you turn up. You'll notice this. Every single problem that a sheep has is resolved by one issue alone, and that is the presence of the shepherd and to let the shepherd shepherd them. That's it. The answer to everything for the sheep, for the best life they could have. Same for us. So what happens is, the worst thing for a shepherd to do is to leave the sheep, because they'll die. A good shepherd will turn up, and firstly, he'll look for the sheep and rescue the sheep. But do you know what a good shepherd does? Eventually, he says, I'm getting sick and tired of going out and fixing the cast-down sheep. And there are always, apparently for some shepherds, some sheep that get cast down more often than not. Unsurprising. Some sheep have learned to live the way the shepherd teaches them. Others think they know better, even amongst sheep. So here's what a shepherd will do with a sheep that keeps getting downcast. He will deliberately move the sheep to uncomfortable ground. Deliberately. The worst thing for a shepherd to do is to leave sheep somewhere comfortable because they will die. And he moves them on. And they're going, why? There's grass here. It's nice here. It's like the Bahamas here. I want to stay here and drink cocktails for the rest of my life. And the good shepherd goes, yes, that's the problem. And he moves them to rough ground where they are safer. The other thing the good shepherd does is he will shear the sheep. Now, I didn't know this till I read this book. I always assumed that it was a reciprocal thing, that shepherds enjoy shearing and sheep like it. Apparently, it is really hard work to shear sheep exhausting manual labor and the sheep hate it really hate it and another reason they hate it is it's not all nice and it's not you know a cappuccino at the hairdressers I went to the barbers recently discovered after never gone to a hairdresser's since I was 30 a hot towel shave you know I get my Turkish coffee and they pamper me they put so many different I didn't realize you could put so many creams and lotions on a head my head is so big, they're probably losing money on me. But, you know, it's like, oh, that's nice. And they get out the razor, and I'm like, mm. not a nick, not a scratch. I'm like, oh, that's very pleasant. It's nothing like that for a sheep. A sheep will get cuts and nicks and tears, and it's painful for them as the shepherd works on them. But the shepherd knows it's good for the sheep to be sheared to take this wool off them. And it's afterwards, suddenly the sheep is, oh, and it can run around, safe. And then the other thing the shepherd does, well, actually, no, let's talk about the nicks and scratches. I'm going to keep pressing into this reset and complexity and our preferences. Um, one of the things that you see, if you go through scripture, wool is an image for what we put on in our lives. It's also an image of sin and the growth of the life that we make for ourselves. It's also one of the reasons why priests in the Old Testament were never allowed to wear something made from wool when they went into the temple. Have you ever wondered that? You know some of these weird things in the Old Testament, you go, did God have something against woolen clothes? No. It was this image of the sheep and the shepherd. The priest was supposed to stand before God shorn like a sheep. Not there with his refinery on and wool 
Wool was one of the most prized commodities. So this is what wool represented and letting the shepherd remove it. And I was thinking, is maybe that's one of the things the Lord's doing in COVID. He's saying, I've had enough of all the stuff. I mean, how many of you was life complex before COVID? The busyness and the travel and the demands. And God says, it's not supposed to be like this with me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And he gets out the shears and he starts cutting it off. And we're like, I don't like this. And we get nicked and hurt and cut. And then the third thing a good shepherd will do is he will put his sheep on a diet, an exercise regime. One of the things a shepherd does is he makes them walk around a certain route so that they get to walk and exercise and they don't get to overgraze. And there are times when he stops them from feeding after they have eaten. That's what a good shepherd does. So what's the Lord been doing to his flock in COVID? I mean, there's one of the shocking things. I think some of us... Maybe we've had the experience in the past, maybe we felt the pressure this year, and we probably certainly know friends who want to be sheep out on their own. They don't want to be part of God's flock with the shepherd, and they're at the greatest risk of being cast down. What's the Lord doing with us? The other wonderful thing is that when we submit to the Lord as our shepherd, he promises that if he is our shepherd, he will come and restore us. And again, the image here, I'll finish on this point. One of the ways that a shepherd would take a sheep that's cast down, do you know how they do it, literally? The shepherd stands over the sheep, reaches down, and picks them up to get them upright. Stands them up. And the Philip Keller, as a shepherd, said what he would then do is, that he'd learned from other shepherds, would be to calm the sheep down, speak in its ear, call it by name, pat it, massage its legs so its circulation would come back. Because he wanted the sheep to be able to stand, but then not immediately run off and fall over again. Isn't that a beautiful image of how the shepherd restores the sheep? Doesn't curse it, doesn't blame it. By the way, there is something that a shepherd does with unruly sheep and bad sheep and dangerous sheep and ones that constantly run off and get cast down. Do you know what they do in the end to them? They kill them. Because a sheep that goes off and gets cast down on its own will take other sheep with it regularly. And eventually the shepherd, to protect the other sheep, will have to intervene. Third and last point. Uh, Oh, if you were following on the handout, the introduction was, why do we need restoring? Point number two was going from cast down to being back on our feet. And the third one here is living in denial for whose sake. And I don't think I read, did I read Psalm 43, verse 5? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? There you go. Almost exactly the same as Psalm 142. Let's look at a few more verses for our last bit today. Isaiah 53, verse 6. Some of you will know this, won't you? It's a really well-known verse. Psalm 53, verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned 
to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This most well-known verse in Isaiah that is used by the church in history to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the good shepherd, but Jesus actually is also a sheep that has our sheepness put onto him, including all the things that we do that are terrible as sheep. We, like sheep... Um, By the way, it's not just in the English there, it says we all. If you look it up in the original Aramaic, we all means, guess what? Every single human being is a sheep that has gone astray and turned to their own way. Um, It's a myth, this point here, last point, living in denial for whose sake? Um, It's a myth that sheep can thrive Anywhere. I used to hear, I heard that when I was younger. I think it was my dad that said it. You know, you drive through the countryside and see sheep. You, say, you go, how did a sheep get up there? How did a sheep get there? He goes, ah, oh, sheep, you just throw them anywhere and they can live anywhere. That, that's a common myth about sheep. The fact is that's not true at all. Sheep left to their own devices will completely and utterly destroy where they live. Completely. A bit like teenagers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do any of you know what happens when you leave some teenagers to their own devices in their habitat and environment? You're like, did someone break in? (laughs) Uh, Are are local people using this as a refuse dump? Uh, Anyway, yeah, you you might laugh, eldest eldest daughter on the front. God, dear. (laughs) Sheep left to their own devices will completely destroy where they live. They will... Sheep do not go, oh, this is an amazing place to eat. Let's preserve this for a while. They will gorge themselves until it's all gone. Gone. They will, with habits that sheep have, they will overgraze, they will destroy the environment, they will defecate everywhere, they will, make, um, they will damage the soil so that when it rains, it washes everything away. Uh, Philip Keller in his book says one of the saddest things was to be as a shepherd and look where there were awful shepherds who let sheep do what they want and saw the condition that they got in. And there's a phrase that shepherds used to, would use. They would talk about a place having been sheeped to death. Now, when I was preparing this for today, I really tried to avoid the news at the minute. Our world is being sheeped to death, isn't it? Has been sheeped to death. If you wonder why the world is in the turmoil that it is, it's because we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to our own way. And we're sheeping our world to death. Um, And this parallel extends for us. Um, Now, sheep have to be moved according to the route that the shepherd has for them. Um, The shepherd will drive them, move them, he'll use his stick. We'll get to this, the rod and the staff. The shepherd's staff was nice and thin and they would use it to tap the sheep for attention but also for the sheep that were, there were some sheep were closer to the shepherd than others and they would walk along like, oh, I like this. The rod was to defend the sheep but it was also to smack the sheep over the head when they needed to be over there for their own well-being. And the shepherd guides the sheep This is the other bit of this verse. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. I mean, if we just stop and pause there, 
How often with the Lord as our shepherd? If I said, do you want the Lord to be your shepherd and you're a Christian, you're probably all going to go, yes. But how often when Jesus says, go here, we go, no, not today. I want you to do that. No, not at the minute. I want you to stop that, not right now. And we've looked at from the first verse the idea of lack. Do you remember verse 1? The fundamental human condition and why we go our own way is because we don't believe that the good shepherd has the best life for us. We think it's too risky, it's too scary, I can't trust him. I've got to take care of myself. It's always lack. I disclosed to you where I always have to work and I'm Lord where where is my lack in my life where is my lack of belief that you have the best for me here you'll have yours it's where we put our la la ears on and we go I'm not listening to you good shepherd I'll do this my way Proverbs 14 and verse 16 I want to read these two verses to you they're unusual as in their Two proverbs apart, but they are identical and they're repeated, which tells us how important this is. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Let me pause there. I'm sure none of you have done this. Have any of you got friends, even Christian friends, who have persuaded themselves of something as being God's best for them, and it turned out to be a disaster? Always a bit of nodding there. We can convince ourselves so often Oh, shepherd, I want this. Surely you want this for me. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Leads to death. And what happens is when we say no to the good shepherd, ignore the good shepherd, delay the good shepherd, don't trust the good shepherd, live out of fears and anxieties and lack, we end up missing out not just on a spiritual reality, I hope you're following this in this series. This is not something that happens when we die. This is not just some deeply spiritual experience where we're wandering around with the rest of life happening and going, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is my shepherd in some inner mystical way. It's about our material life, our emotional life, our relational life. This psalm is that God has a life for us with the good shepherd. He has the best work for us, the best relationships for us, the best material things for us if we trust him as our shepherd. And here is the scandal again, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus in Mark 8, verse 34, says this. And he summoned the crowd and his disciples. Even there is a sheep image, isn't it? Jesus gets a bit bossy sometimes. He summoned the crowd. Jesus is looking out at the sheep, the flock, and he's saying, you lot, get here. The word summoned is a very strong word. He's not like, hey, if it's all right with you, come over here. I've got something I'd like to share. He demanded their presence. He called them here, summoned them. I think in that moment, he's supremely the good shepherd. And they gather around him with the disciples. And he said this to them. 
If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? What will someone give in exchange for their soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of them when he comes in glory of the Father and the holy angels. And if we think that we just get to miss out on something in this life with Jesus, Jesus is not mincing his words. Sorry, can I ask you a question? Do you see how Jesus is not mincing his words here? Jesus says there are consequences to how you live in this life and eternal ones. He's going to get to another parable where he talks about sheep and goats, doesn't he? Jesus is saying the story, and I think this is the story that you and I have around us most of the time, and it goes like this. Just mind your own business, take care of yourself, occasionally check in with God to look after you, and nothing bad will happen. That's, that message is not in the gospels anywhere. That's our sheepness right there. Jesus warns us that there are consequences, that we will have consequences for our soul and for our lives. So, how do you know if Jesus is the good shepherd in your life? I keep using this word. I was mocked by a friend in church the other week for using it. A diagnostic. I like that word. Diagnosis. How do we know how much Jesus is our good shepherd or not? Well, one of the ways to know is, if you were to hit the pause button right now, think about everything going on in your life. Think about some of the decisions you're making about where you're going and what you're doing and what you're, what's happening in life. And ask yourself, are they because the shepherd has said, go here, do this? Or is it because we want to find somewhere soft and comfortable and graze and be secure? That would be a reflection from this psalm to go away and honestly and say, Lord, where am, I being, where am I being Isaiah 53, verse 6? And where are you leading me? The simple uh, definition of discipleship, someone who is a sheep and Jesus their shepherd, I, li- I like this one. What's Jesus saying to you and what are you doing about it? If you say, Gee, I can't, Jesus hasn't said anything to me, it's probably because we're not even listening in the first place. But if he has said something to us, what are we doing about it? And if we're not doing something about it, is it because... We're like the sheep here. There is a wonderful TV series. Um, Our church, we were invited everyone to watch at the start of the year, the whole of season one, The Chosen. If you haven't watched it yet, go, well, I just saw some very big smiles and nods then. (laughs) I've just re-watched it. I'm I'm into the first episode of season two, and I've watched that twice. This wonderful retelling of, of the Gospels but from the perspective of the disciples following Jesus. And there was just one line where Jesus is talking to the father of one of the women that wants to go off with Jesus and be a disciple. And this father is like, I know you've done miracles, but she's my only daughter. And it's a a beautiful conversation, a portrayal of the human cost of having Jesus as their shepherd. And a father who's like, I'm not sure I'm up for this. She should be getting married and doing sensible things, not going off with some itinerant preacher. 
And there is just this beautiful line the scriptwriters put in that have Jesus speak. And he looks at the father of, of this woman who's a disciple and he says this. This is Jesus speaking. And it's not in the Gospels, but it is a wonderful paraphrase of everything that Jesus says about following him. He looks at this man and he says, I know this is difficult, what I ask. And says this, I ask a lot of those who follow me, but I ask little of those who do not. I ask a lot of those who follow me, but I ask a little of those who do not. And brothers and sisters, and by the way, if you're not a brother and sister yet and you're finding out who Jesus is, you can become a brother and sister. That's what the flock of God are, family together. I think one of the things the Lord's doing at this moment in history is saying, do we want to be his sheep in his flock and him be our shepherd? I said a question last week. Who wants the good shepherd? Anybody here? Yeah? Let's stand. Worship team, come back. Let's pray. Oh, sorry, I'm in the way. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, good shepherd, we welcome you. Good shepherd, we repent of where we have been sheep and gone our own way. Lord, some of us know that we are downcast and we need you to rescue us. Some of us are struggling around with our legs in the air, not realizing that we're cast down. But good shepherd, come to us as we worship now. Draw close, bend over us, lift us up, massage our legs. Speak to us with the words of the Holy Spirit to bring us life. Amen.